we work our way verse by verse through various books of the Bible and we're spending the summer in the book of Psalms and so for those of us that are here this morning uh, we'll look at another psalm and we will continue in our summer of the Psalms. Last Sunday we looked and we ended the year with a psalm of praise. It's good to end on a high note and this is the first Sunday of 2018 and so we ended last year with a psalm of praise We did that as we saw that we are to praise God for his deliverance. We saw that David had been delivered many, many times through many, many afflictions. And he had many, many praises that were continually on his mouth. And so we ended the year on a high note. And I want us to begin this year on what may seem like a low note, but it's not. It's a lowly posture. It's a lowliness of heart and soul and fitting For the beginning of a year, being low is the best place to be. Paradoxically, when we are low before God, we're in high standing with God. And so let's begin the year, the first Sunday of this year, that by God's grace we even can gather. Let's begin it by looking at Psalm 51. You know, what makes our faith so special and so unique is that we, as we've just done, we sing praises to God. We sing praises to God because we have peace with God. And because we have peace with God, we're devoted to living for God. And that all has, really, as its anchor and starting point, the confessing of our sin to God. Psalm 51 is David doing just that. Psalm 51 is perhaps the most graphic look at the confession of and repenting of sin found anywhere in the Bible. In this psalm, David literally pleads to be forgiven, to be cleansed of all the filthiness that sin had clothed him with and that clothes a person with when they rebel against God. And transgress and forsake this good and awesome God in all his ways. Psalm 51 really is a head-on collision with sin. Psalm 51 is a head-on collision with sin and the need to confess and forsake sin. To confess and repent of sin. So there is something, is there not, most fitting for each and every one of us, you and I, as we go about starting, starting this year, as we journey through this summer in the Psalms by looking at Psalm 51 and getting very low before God. I really believe as we kickstart this year, it is crucial that you and I get very low before God and get very real before God. That He might cleanse us and wash us anew. The people of Riverbend, collectively in our lives you see we sin and when we sin we need to confess our sin and forsake our sin when you and i sin we must deal with it the only way god tells us to deal with it and that is to confess it to repent of it and then to walk free from it and we can we can by the power of the spirit of god that dwells within us And through the power of the word of God that we must be dwelling in. 
And ultimately we can because of all that Jesus Christ has done for us. We are saved by His grace. We have His grace. And it is that grace that can allow us to live holy lives. Psalm 51 is really what we need this day, this first Sunday of the year. And so with that, if you haven't already, turn with me to Psalm 51. And notice what it says there in what's called the superscription. Remember, that's those little words that are above each and every psalm. It says that this psalm is for the choir director. For the choir director. It was written by David and then given to the chief musician at the temple. So as to be sung inside the temple. Think about that for a moment. This psalm, written by David, where David took such a personal confession and description of repentance in his own life, he gave it to the choir director, the chief musician, and it was to be sung corporately, publicly, collectively inside the temple. And so this psalm was sung, like many, inside the temple. It was turned into a collective psalm to be sung by all. So from the penning of it by David to the collective singing of it by the people of Israel to each and every saint since then till today, Psalm 51 has been for the believer a go-to place for prayer and confession and repentance out of an earnest desire to be cleansed of all filthiness and to be then restored into full relationship with God. Full restoration. There's some incredible context of Psalm 51 that we need to survey. Psalm 51 is one of the, mo- one of the so-called penitential psalms. There's seven of them in Scripture. Let's read the full superscription with me in Psalm 51 above the beginning of verse 1. It's actually part of verse 1. It says, For the choir director, a psalm of David... When Nathan, the prophet, came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Turn back with me, by way of context, to 2 Samuel. Go back to 2 Samuel. We're going to have a look there. And this is going to serve us well in 2 Samuel to give us the full understanding. Look at chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Keep in mind that superscription that we just read. For it's here we see the great sin that David committed. We read there in the beginning of chapter 11 of 2 Samuel that David saw a beautiful woman laying outside. Verse verse 2 of chapter 11 tells us that that it was evening. So she wasn't out sunbathing. She's laying on the roof in the warmth of night. And David's look lingers. And because his look lingered, lust kindled and then it burned a flame. Remember, David is the king of Israel. We see there that he sends his messengers in verse 4. They bring Bathsheba to David. 
She's the wife of Uriah, who's a high-ranking officer in David's army, the captain. He's out serving David in war. David sleeps with Bathsheba. You know the account. We don't need to go into great detail of it, but we just need to understand it, either afresh or anew. David sleeps with Bathsheba, thereby committing the heinous sin of adultery. She falls pregnant and comes and tells David that she is with child. David then, as a result of his sin, is entangled in a cobweb of sin. He begins to scheme and to plot. Verses 10 and 11 and the like, David begins to scheme by having Uriah go to stay with his wife, hoping that they will have a time of intimacy. And then David gets away with his sin, but that doesn't work. So David gets Uriah drunk, hoping that that will get him in bed with his wife. That too doesn't work. That fails. And so the web and the entanglement of sin grows, such is the nature of sin, until David, King David, then arranges for Uriah to be set up in battle and to die in the field, all at the hand, the masterful hand of David. Look at verse 26 of chapter 11. Bathsheba then hears about her husband dying. Verse 26. And then verse 27, it says, When she had finished the mourning, David then made her his wife. Look then at the end of verse 27. It says, Then she bore him a son. But, it says, the end of verse 27, The thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord, Yahweh. Then look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and said, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had many great flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb, fourfold, because he did this thing and had no compassion. Restitution, he says. David then, Nathan then said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, it is I who anointed you king over Israel and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And that if, had, and if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You've struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before 
your eyes and give them to your companion. And he will lie with your wife in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, says the Lord. But I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. We'll stop right there for the moment. That's the background. I want you to know that there is a one-year period between when David committed adultery with Bathsheba and had Uriah killed. There was a one-year period between that event and before Nathan came to David. When Nathan was sent by God to confront David. So for a year, David carried around the weight of his sin. And yet he probably had many days where he, with a searing conscience, didn't even think about the sin that he'd committed. Thinking that it was all done and dealt with. On to the next thing. The husband is dead. The lady was now his wife. All was good. Out of those 365 days, I bet you there were many days. Such as the searing of a conscience and the hardening of a heart where David didn't, David didn't even think about those things. All was good. But then God came, didn't he? He intervened. He sent Nathan. And God sent David a message through Nathan. Nathan, with a prophetic finger pointed out, said, you are the man. Amazing, is it not? Nathan comes The parable is heard. The parable that displays the same type of thing that David himself had committed. David then burns with anger against that man and and declares that he must die. Oh, the nature of sin in the lives of the people of God. When we can be so vocal about the sins of others, but yet blind to our own sin. I can relate to that, can you? Very humbling, is it not? So God came through David, and as a result, the full weight of David's sin fell upon his heart and his soul, and it crushed him. And as a result, he writes Psalm 51. Psalm 51 isn't a prayer and a plea for salvation please understand that david was a man after god's own heart this is a prayer and a plea of a regenerate man who had sinned against his god that's what psalm 51 is you see a sinner who loves sin sins and just keeps on sinning a redeemed sinner who sins comes, whether immediately, after some time, or eventually, comes with true and genuine confession. So with all that in mind, the adultery, the murder, the word of God through Nathan, and the understanding that David was completely broken over his sin... That in many ways his sin done in darkness was now found out. His secret was no longer secret. The light had revealed his great dark and wicked sin. Broken over his sin. Let's now hear the heart of a contrite sinner 
looking for cleansing. So let's read Psalm 51 together. As we begin this year, let's get low that we might be in high standing. Let's read Psalm 51. Remember the context. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this great evil in your sight. So that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face. from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be, will be converted to you. Deliver me from... Blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you don't, do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise by your good favor do good to zion build the walls of jerusalem then you will delight in righteous sacrifices in burnt offering and whole burnt offering then young bulls will be offered on your altar let's pray father we come before you and give you thanks but lord we pray now that not only would we, come, would we come with thankful hearts, but that we would come with aware hearts. Hearts that are innately aware of our own sin. The deceitfulness of our own heart and our pride and our hypocrisy blinds us from our own sin, Lord. And would you please lift it off? Please, Lord. For we want to come before you innately aware of our own sin. Lord, we don't want to harbor any iniquity in our heart before you, Lord. We've sinned against you this morning, Lord, and we ask for your forgiveness for that. We've sinned against you yesterday, and we ask for your forgiveness for that, Father. Help us to be a confessing people that are genuine. Father, thank you for this psalm. Help us, Lord, to confess our sin to be innately aware of our sin. And as we journey through this psalm, may we be low and lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you recall 
those days, in those early years of being born again, and for some of you that's right now, for some of you that's a couple of years ago, some of you that's decades ago. Can you recall those early times of being born again? Over a decade now, I was born again, I was saved, and as I broke away from my former life that I was most certainly entrenched in, in the weeks and months after being converted, there were times when old Adam was too strong for young Matthew. I mean, there still are now, there still is, but upon my conversion, there were times I would return for a moment of fleeting temporary pleasure and come day's end or morning's rise, I would be on my knees in my room in tears reading this psalm as a psalm of repentance. I think it was the first psalm I ever knew off by heart. Before I would visit it often in those early weeks and months. I'm sure you've done the same. But if there is one thing that I've observed, it's been a while since I have found myself in that posture with those tears, reading as a prayer, Psalm 51. This week I returned. Now granted, in the weeks and months post my conversion, there were sins that I committed that I don't struggle with anymore. But as we grow in grace and knowledge, the sins that didn't even register before become all too innate to us now. That is, they become all too apparent now. And what once didn't hit the radar now grieves us. That's such the life of growing in the likeness and holiness of Christ. Well, at least that's how it should be. But if I think you and I are honest with ourselves, and this morning you and I must be honest with ourselves, we would have to admit, we would have to confess that there is a sin that so easily entangles us, but there is a confession that so easily evades us. Genuine confession that so easily evades us. Therefore, we need Psalm 51. We need a newfound humility. We need a new lowliness. I know I do, and I know that some of you do too. Because I know you, and you know me. So let's dwell in this psalm that we so desperately need. This morning in Psalm 51, we're going to be given, and we will see five aspects to genuine confession and genuine repentance from David, so that we too can model this in our own lives and deal rightly with the sin in our life. Five aspects to genuine confession and repentance. I want you to see first in verses 1 and 2, David's plea. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. This really is David begging here. David is begging God to forgive him for his sin. And he is pleading with God to exercise mercy. He was blind to his own sin. Even when the person came to confront him about his sin, he was still blind in hypocrisy, still sanctimonious about his own sin. But eventually, by God's grace, David sees the full weight of his sin. I want you to turn with me very quickly to Acts chapter 11 and look at verse 18. 
Look at Acts chapter 11, verse 18. When they heard this, they quietened down and glorified God, saying, now note what they say. Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also, to the Gentiles also, the repentance that leads to life. Repentance is a gift from God. And God gives good gifts to those that ask of Him. And so here, back to Psalm 51, David's making a plea. He's begging God. David is speaking as one who has nowhere else to turn to for forgiveness other than Almighty God, other than Yahweh. And that is true. It's true for him and it's true for you and me. When we commit sin, when we lie, when we look at things we shouldn't look at, when we swear, when we gossip, whatever sin that we commit, we have no power in and of ourselves to lay claim to the mercy of which we plead for. We must fall before the throne of God and make a plea. That's the first response from David. Innately aware of his sin, he falls before God and makes a plea. So crushed and so convicted by his sin, so desperate for forgiveness, he comes and pleads for mercy. And then look what he does. Look what he anchors it all upon. He says, according to your loving kindness. If we were to look back at Second Samuel chapter 7, we would see that David, that God made a covenant with David and to his sons. And he said, if you walk wayward in my ways, I will chasten you. I will discipline you. But if you walk faithfully in my ways, I will forgive you. And I'll keep my covenant. So David knew that God was a covenant-keeping God. And so he appeals to God's very character. His attribute of being a God abounding in loving kindness. The word in the Hebrew there is hesed, meaning an unfailing, loyal love that is based on his goodness. Hesed is loving kindness, is the exact type of love that is used in reference to the covenant in which God makes and which he made with David. So you can call this his covenant keeping loyal love. And David is appealing to that very attribute of God. That mercy might be poured out upon him. Here David is aware of his great need, and so he opens with a plea. And the plea includes a prayer of wiping away all the types of dirt and grime that only sin brings. And there is a very special type of dirt and grime that only sin brings and clothes us with. Not only on garment, but on heart. Notice three components of David's plea as it pertains to his sin. Blot out, he says there. Wash and cleanse. Blot out the transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Three figurative terms used with three ways to describe sin. Transgressions, iniquity and sin. This all displays the depth of David's desire to be free from the stain of sin. Such is the the desire of a believer, right? We don't want any sin to be lingering in our life and we are grieved when it does. David was 
desirous to be free from the stains of sin. And sin most certainly has a stain. And it lingers long when it's unconfessed. The deeper the stain generally longer it's unconfessed. To blot out is to erase. To wash is to remove the stains. And to cleanse is language of the ceremonial law, meaning that one can now enter inside the temple to worship. This is where David is drawing this from. And this is a comprehensive plea for cleaning. David is innately aware that only God can provide this. And so innately aware of his wicked sin that he has committed against God, David begins, and it's the first aspect, it's you make a plea to God. You and I need this. We can't simply think light of our sin and move on. We do that too often, I believe. We just sin and then move on. We need to respond like David does here and make a plea. We need a genuine confession and a genuine repentance in our life. That's the first aspect of genuine confession and repentance. We beg for mercy. We plead for mercy from the only place we can plead, and that's God. The next aspect of genuine confession and repentance I want you to see is David's own confession in verses 3 through 6. He says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. It's here that we see the fact that David truly understood the magnitude of his sin and his wrongdoing. He says, therefore, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Well, it may not have been until Nathan came. 365 days before it came. But by God's good hand. And the fact that repentance is a gift by God. It came eventually. But you and I can be like that, can't we? We can rationalize, explain away, and justify our sin until another comes and speaks into our life when we actually display the humility to allow another to come and speak into our life. Where we're humble enough to listen. And so here we see David was being haunted by his sin. It was ever before him, he says. No doubt pressing in and no doubt pressing around him. And that's what it's like for a believer. Sin crushes us and sin causes us to confess our sin. And when it doesn't, there's a problem. Not with God, not with the other person who sinned against us, but with us. An unbeliever or a hard-hearted believer just simply suppresses their sin. An unbeliever suppresses the truth of God in unrighteousness. So David not only sees his sin ever before him in full, look at verse 4. He knows full well to whom he has sinned against. Against you and you only, he says, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David knew that his sin with Bathsheba and his plotting the murder of Uriah was a grievous sin committed against them. He would have been innately aware of that. He's He's not dumbing that fact down. But ultimately, and he's indeed taking it a step further, David confesses that the sin he committed was against God as it was done, the evil was done in God's sight. Pastors who do pre-marriage 
counseling. I've only just begun doing pre-marriage counseling. I like to use the illustration of a young couple who were caught up in inappropriate behavior before they were married. Where it was said to them, hey guys, you've been seen crossing the boundary lines of what is appropriate before marriage. And to which the reply is, by who? who? Who saw us? And the pastor says, God. And they say, whew, whew. There's some sense of relief. You see, it's worse when man sees than when God sees. Such is the nature and the wickedness of sin in our own heart. David wasn't like that here in Psalm 51. There is a genuineness to his repentance here. There's a genuineness to his confession here. For genuine confession and genuine repentance to take place, there needs to be some open and honest acknowledgement between us and God. The whole idea of confession and to confess means to tell it like God sees it. To tell it like God sees it. And many times we don't tell it like God sees it. Because of our pride and our hypocrisy and our sin. John MacArthur rightly remarked, quote, Today sin is called sickness. So people think it requires therapy and not repentance, end quote. It's, it's alcoholism. No, no, it's drunkenness. Genuine confession includes acknowledging to God that it was a great evil done in His sight. And I'm guilty, and so are you, of not confessing as it is, and as our God sees it. No more. Psalm 51 says no more. David says, no more. Confess it like God says, it's a great evil done in his sight. For that is the very core of repentance. Anything less than that is simply a sorrow that leads to nothing. It's just a worldly sorrow. But there is a repentance that leads to life. And so when we sin, it is against a holy God. It is against more than just something to be sorrowful over. But more than that, look at the end of verse 4. So you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Genuine confession and genuine repentance includes a complete acceptance of God's finding and God's verdict. And I want you to notice that here from David. David is not trying to justify the consequences of his sin. He's just accepting the guilt of his sin. That's genuine confession and genuine repentance when there is genuine confession there is complete acceptance and there is no blame shifting there is only full submission to the will of god on the matter look at verses five and six behold he says i was brought forth in inequity and in sin my mother conceived me behold you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom i like that here david is acknowledging that he has been a sinner from the womb he's not saying that his mother and father fornicated and that's the result of his birth no he's saying that he is acknowledging that he is a sinner from birth it's been well said that david knew that he entered the world a sinner in nature long before he became a sinner in action what david is saying is that his sinful nature predates his sinful conduct 
This sounds like an excuse from David, but I can assure you it's not. Because a part of genuine confession and genuine repentance is a true understanding of the exceeding sinfulness of sin and the fact that sin permeates all men and women and children. Call it a biblical anthropology, if you will. David is saying, not by way of excuse, but by way of understanding that his sin is truly his sin, for he is in a battle with sin that dwells in him. Romans chapter 5 teaches us that we all inherited sin from Adam. Therefore, we're all guilty. Even before we've committed a sin, we're guilty because we've inherited that sin. So David's innately aware of this. Speaking of what dwells within, look now at verse 6. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, inside. David here is speaking of the great chasm between what God desires from him and what David has been doing. David has been living a life of deceit. David has been living a double life. One of walking with God, but committing adultery and having a man killed. And in attempts to cover up his sin, David had learnt that this was foolish. And now that God was dealing with him, having exposed his sin, he knew that God, the great teacher, will make him to know wisdom. When we walk in obedience before God, when we walk in wisdom, it's that kind of living that teaches us to deal openly and honestly with our sin. That's genuine confession, genuine repentance. Oh, the struggle that we have with this. I'm not angry. I'm just frustrated. That's the dumbing down and the misdirecting. This is genuine here. That's genuine confession. The third aspect of genuine confession and repentance that's modeled for us from David here as he pens Psalm 51 is David's own petition in verses 7 through 12. Verse 7, purify me, watch me, wash me. Verse 8, make me. Verse 9, hide your face. David's petitions here, that is David making a request again for forgiveness. So deep is his conviction of sin, he doubles up on confession of sin and makes a petition and a pleading that he would be washed clean. In verses 10 through 12, David then begs for an inner renewal of heart and spirit. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you've broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Then there's this this begging for inner renewal of heart and spirit. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. These are David's petitions. An aspect of genuine repentance and genuine confession is genuine petition to God. Repeated petition to God. I mean, this... Here, verses 7 through 12, does it not show that the magnitude of David's sin, 
the reason there's so many things that he's petitioning is because there's so many aspects to his vile sin. There's a genuineness here. It was hyssop, according to Leviticus 14.6, that, that was dipped in the blood of the bird sacrifice and then sprinkled. Well, sprinkled is probably not the best term. It was just lathered. Hyssop is a branch-like tree that's almost like a paintbrush and they would just throw blood all over the place. It was dipped in the blood of a bird sacrifice and then seven times thrown upon the leper to cleanse. David, by God's grace, was aware that he was in need of cleansing of his own type of spiritual leprosy. He's drawing from these ideas here. He knew that the the nature of his sin was disgusting and by being purged and washed, David knew that he would be clean and whiter than snow. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 says, even though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white like snow. Even though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. When we come with genuine confession and repentance and we make petition upon God, our sins are washed away. The stains of our sin are washed clean. And then what happens, verse 8, look. Joy and gladness. This is the result of the forgiveness of David that he'd found. Turn back with me to Psalm 32 for a moment. Turn to Psalm 32. Psalm 2 is a, also a psalm of David. Now this psalm is rich in praise. And I want you to know that this psalm, Psalm 32, is, is from the exact same context of his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. Exact same context. Believed to have been written later than Psalm 51. It is anchored. Also, perhaps, in the notion that David puts forth in Psalm 51 about having the joy of his salvation return. And then he would then teach sinners the ways of God. Well, Psalm 32 is this teaching. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 32. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute Iniquity in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Vitality was drained away as the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Then look at verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. You see, when David possessed no joy, it was because he possessed sin in his life, unconfessed sin in his life. When you have no joy in your life, it generally means that you have sin in your life. Habitual, unrepentant, 
unconfessed sin. Back to Psalm 51. So here David petitions for joy and gladness to return. And when we read Psalm 32, we see that joy return. When you and I are genuine in our confession and zealous in our repentance, we make our request known to God. And then joy fills our life and our heart once again. We get low and we petition His grace. And that's what David's doing here. In verses 10 through 12, we see a prayer by David for internal renewal and commitment to holy living. This is the truth of what it means to look like to genuinely confess and genuinely repent. What comes then is an internal renewal and commitment to holy living. David begs for a pure heart, creating me a clean heart. The word create. David is, is, is pleading to the only place he knows that can do that kind of work in the heart of a man, and that is God. Creating me a clean heart. David begs for a pure heart. Why does David beg for a pure heart? The reason he begs for a pure heart is so that he won't fall back into impure ways again. He's been dirty, creating him a clean heart, O oh God. God can only forgive and wash away his sins, and David is aware of that by his words there. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. David is acknowledging again that only God can do such a thing. There is genuine confession. This is genuine confession. This is true confession. The word for steadfast there in the Hebrew is a word that conveys the idea of being marked by a firm or determined resolution to be unmovable and unshakable. That's a mark of genuine confession and genuine repentance. David is truly repentant here. It's like us when we want to pray something different during the time of examination of communion. I mean, do you find yourself confessing the same sins each time? I do. Those kind of prayers, they linger too long from week to week, year to year. I want them gone. I want different prayers. Just the same thing all the time. Renew in me a steadfast spirit, O God. Help me to love my wife more than I do, to love my children more than I do, to not be so impatient with them. I don't want to be so selfish anymore. David's truly repentant here. And then David says in verse 11, look at verse 11, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And please understand that this fear from David is not stemming from a concern of the loss of salvation from David. Please understand that. For in Old Testament times, the Spirit of God would come and dwell in people for a specific time, for a specific purpose. And so David's concern is not that of a loss of salvation, but a loss of effective service for God. An implication for us today? Unconfessed sin 
or a lack of genuine confession and repentance of sin will render you on the bench and out of the race. Verse 12 tells us that David wants a willing spirit so as to live a holy life. Is it not your burning desire to live holy? So genuine confession and repentance includes a plea to God, a confession to God, a petition to God. And once that has taken place, we now see that restoration occurs. Let's look at David's restoration in verses 13 through 17. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Wonderful. Here's a commitment by David to teach others to live for God. David had gone low. David had truly pleaded. David had truly confessed. David had truly petitioned. And now, once forgiven, displays true restoration. Why? Because he gets back to doing the Lord's work the Lord's way. No longer consumed by the frivial, no longer consumed by the guilt of his own sin, no longer dragged left and right. David now does the Lord's work the Lord's way. And Psalm 32 that we read earlier is a result of this very commitment from David. As a result of this restoration, this true and lasting, genuine repentance, David would then lead sinners to the salvation that is found in God. What a joy that brings. Obedient lives equate to effective ministries. Disobedient lives equates to ineffective ministries. And we want to be about the Lord's work, the Lord's way. Do we not? David knows that sinners will be safe in God. But look at verse 14. He calls God the God of my salvation. The eyes of sin and self now are gone. Sin has been fully confessed. Genuine repentance has occurred and now it's back to work for leading others to salvation. What a wonderful picture this is. Look what he says. He says, open, oh Lord, open my lips, he says. I can speak for you now. I can praise you now. I will declare your ways to sinners now. Fully restored, no longer under the burden of sin. Save me from blood guiltiness, O God. He says there in verse 14, even though David was restored, he still knew that sin demands a penalty. But with that pardon of sin that he fully received, according to God's loving kindness, his covenant loyal love, He could freely now sing praises and teach others to forsake their ways. David was fully forgiven in a way that leads to full restoration with God and now he could call others to do the same. And all of life now for David was a sacrifice pleasing to God. That is what he speaks of sacrifices there and properly identifies that for God it is a broken and contrite spirit that he wants. That is a repentant spirit that God delights in. As a genuine, the result of a genuine plea for mercy, a genuine confession of sin, 
are willing to face the consequences, but he's not consumed by the consequences. He's just consumed by the guilt. He has a conviction of his guilt of his sin. He's not afraid of the consequences of his sin. As a result of a petition for cleansing, David now possessed the sacrifice God delights in. He was broken and repentant. And he wraps it up there by making a, an appeal. Just a brief remark on that. By your favor, do good to Zion, build the walls of Jerusalem. Here as king of Israel, he prays for prosperity of Jerusalem. Fully restored, he's now in the right mind to think about collective prayers such as this. As leader of Israel, he knows his conduct and his character matter. And so he prays on their behalf. And so that's Psalm 51. That's genuine confession and genuine repentance. There's so much here for us. We could spend days in this. Let's not play games with our sin. Let's not deal lightly with our sin. Let's confess it. Remember, seeing it how God's, confessing it how God sees it. Let's not be disingenuous with our confession and our repentance of sin. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And what mercy and what grace there is and what blessedness and what joy there is when we truly confess and repent of our sin. Are you here this morning living in sin? Do you perhaps even profess the name of Jesus and yet live like Jesus never gave you a word to obey? then you need the forgiveness of sins that salvation only is offered and available through Jesus Christ. Freely to all those who come to Him by faith and by faith alone that He bore the penalty of your sin upon the cross and rose again the third day. Would you be so humble, dear person, and do that today? For those here this morning who follow Jesus Christ, who are born again, there is a sin in our lives that we battle with day by day. And sometimes due to apathy, due to coldness and lack of zeal for Christ, we let some sin sink in too deep. And we don't genuinely confess it. And we don't genuinely repent of it. And I'm just as guilty of that as you are. Because dare I point one finger without three pointing back at me. Sometimes we harbor sin. Sometimes worse, we harbor it and doesn't even register on our radar. May Psalm 51 be like Nathan to you and I. May Psalm 51 be like Nathan to you and I. Sent of the Lord. For the full weight and the full guilt of our sin. To push us into these genuine aspects of genuine confession and repentance that we might be restored to the joy of our salvation may it never be said of us that we have lost our first love then i will teach transgressors your ways then i'll be back doing the lord's work the lord's way oh we begin low but we're lifted up So here's five aspects of genuine confession and repentance. Let's deal truly with our sin. 
We're going to have a time of communion, but I want you to turn back to 2 Samuel before we do. I want to show you something. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 12. Verse 13, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. However, because of this deed, you have given the occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born to you shall surely die. So Nathan went to his house. Look at the next verse. Then the Lord struck the child that Uriah's widow bore to David so that he was very sick. David therefore inquired of God for the child and David fasted and went, all, and went and lay all night on the ground. The elders of the household stood beside him all to raise him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat food with them. Then it happened on the seventh day that the child died. We can confess our sin. We can repent of our sin. But in this life, dear believer, there is a consequence for our sin. The Old Testament, the Scripture, is given for our benefit and for our instruction. We've been given an example and a model. And dare not think that David's sin was so grand because he committed adultery and murder that somehow your sin and my sin is less in the sight of God. Alan Cairn said this, Sin will take away your shout, your song, and your statement of testimony. You can shout, there's no presence of God. You can't sing, there's no joy. You can't testify, there's no reality in your life. All the while, Satan is pointing at you and trying to keep you down. This morning, we've gone low. That we might be lifted up. We've started the year by looking at five aspects of genuine repentance. Trust that you will be faithful as I want to be faithful to live this out in our life. The reason there is a confession of sin and a cleansing from sin is because there is a Savior who was sent to die for sin. And we're going to take a moment now to examine ourselves, to confess and turn away from our sin. And as your pastor, if I have sinned against you, if I've been impatient with you, unloving with you, if I've been arrogant towards you, if I've done anything to sin against you, I would ask genuinely, would you please forgive me? Let's do that now. Let's spend a moment before we partake of the bread and the cup. But we have no reason to stay in a state that doesn't include joy. 
The reason we can do this is because of great joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to walk through Psalm 51. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to, 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 to see the life of David, the one who, who sinned greatly. And, and by your grace, which is, which is so abounding, he, he repented, which is a gift from you. You give great gifts to those who ask. And so, Father, thank you. Would you help us, Lord? Would it, would it not be just intellectual exercise, but it would be changing, Lord? Would you save those that are lost here this morning? Would you sanctify those of us that are found? Would you be with us now as we partake in communion? We thank you for the blood shed of the precious Son of you, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his body that was given for us. Lord, we want to spend a moment now and examine ourselves. And We thank you in Jesus' name.